You've tuned into Omega Church. We are a people hungry to encounter God through worship and His Word, being witnesses to the world around us. We pray this teaching blesses you and trust God will reveal Himself to you in a new way today. And if you need prayer for healing or breakthrough, or to find out more about Omega, head to our website or Facebook page through the links below. Hallelujah. You think that is really a strong hallelujah? <laughs> Let us show that we have some power. Hallelujah. hallelujah. That's the good one. That will bring honor to God. Praise to his name. Hallelujah. We are here for only one purpose, to glorify God. We have to know that. And then you will not live the same way every day. Today I intend to finish the book of Joel. <laughs> Let us try. Last week I thought of doing something and I could only finish three verses. So I said I'll continue from verse four onwards. Now what have you against me, O Tyre and Sidon, and all you regions of Philistia? Are you repaying me for something I have done? If you are, re if you are paying me back, I will swiftly and speedily return on your own heads what you have done. So he is talking about Tyre, Sidon, Philistia. I wish I had put a map there. I wanted to, but I could not do it last night. You see Israel, and then on the, towards the north, there are the coastal cities. They are on the sea coast. You've got Tyre and Sidon, and then Philistia, or uh, Philistines, or Philistia is the Philistines. They are just about the north. Right now I think you have the Lebanon and uh, Hamas and all those kind of, they are Philistines, basically, remnant of Philistines, continuing to give trouble to Israel, like a thorn in their flesh, which God said in the Old Testament, if you don't finish them, they will be thorn in your flesh. So they didn't finish, <laughs> today they are thorn in the flesh. Anyway, that's not our problem. The thing is, Tyre, Sidon, Phoenicia, Phoenicians were perpetually enemies of Israel. What, when, when I use the word perpetually, that means forever and ever they have been. As long as you know the history, they have been enemies of Israel. But they represent something. They represent the enemies of God all over the world today. You may think, oh, this country is not mentioned. Africa is not, not mentioned, or Japan is not mentioned, or China is not mentioned. If your heart is against God, you are God's enemy. That's the rule number one. If you have any doubt, look to rule number one again. <laughs> because whoever opposes God, his kingdom, are his enemies. One of the things that we see is that when the enemies touch God's people, they are touching God. Whoever touches God's people, who are they touching? God. Let us say it. Touching the people of God is touching God himself. No, no, no. You are, there is no conviction in what you are saying. You must say it and mean it. Say it again. Touching the people of God is touching God himself. So in history, I thought we should look at some of history as well. So you look at the church that is born in the uh, on the bed of Pentecost in Acts chapter 2. And afterwards, as it was growing, the persecution also was growing. 
And as the persecution was growing, they were scattered. As they were being scattered, they carried the gospel and they went even as far as Rome and Italy and all those places. They took the gospel. But after that, the Roman emperors, 10 of them were against the gospel of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. They persecuted Christians for 10 consecutive 10 consecutive Roman emperors, they persecuted Christians. Nero, Domitian, Trojan, Hadrian, Antonius Pius, Marcus Aurelius, Septimius Severus, Maximus Thrax, Decius, Diocletian. Name every emperor has persecuted the church. You think it is fun to persecute Christians? No. God will get even with you. So what? how did they die? I'll give you an example. Nero, he was so hated by his senators of Rome that they forced him to kill himself. Domitian was butchered by his own soldiers. Trajan died of foul disease. Antonius Pius, um, uh, I don't have information about them. Marcus Aurelius, killed by his own soldiers. And then you've got Septimius Severus, died in a military campaign in Britain. Maximus Thrax was cut into pieces together with his son. Uh, there were two Maximans, Maximinus and Maximus. So another one was hanged, he hanged himself. One was cut into pieces along with the sun. And you got Decius, who died as an exile in far country. And Diocletian was the, one of the worst one of the guys. He poisoned himself, he committed suicide and died. You oppose God, you will never escape from God. You oppose God, you will never escape from God. So God is challenging these nations what have you against me, O Tyre and Sidon and O Phoenicia, you regions of Philistia? Are you repaying me for something I have done? If you are paying me back, I will swiftly and speedily return on your own heads what you have done. What did they do? Ask me the question, what did they do? Oh, this will help you to keep awake, you see. <laughs> So what did they do? What did they do? Verse 5. For you took my silver and my gold and carried off my finest treasures to your temples. First thing they did, robbed. They robbed God's temple. Now this may not be particularly Philistia or particularly Tyre or particularly Sidon. But many countries have done it. Nebuchadnezzar has come and robbed the temple of God. They even melted the gold and collected it. Because as I told you, tons of gold was used when uh, Solomon built the temple. Tons, not few kilos, tons of gold. Inside the walls, everything gold. You cannot see any wood anywhere. Nowhere. It's all full of gold. And they came and plundered the gold. So that is what uh, uh, happened in history. Then verse 6, you sold the people of Judah and Jerusalem to the Greeks that you might send them far from their homeland. So they, they indulged in slave trade. They, cap they took captives, the people of Judah, and sold them as slaves to far off country. They were scattered different places. These are two charges, robbery and slavery. Same things you see, Amos talk about it, Isaiah talks about it, Ezekiel talks about it, Jeremiah talks about it. All the prophets talk about it. But as a sample, I give you what Amos has written. Amos chapter 1 verse 6. Thus says the Lord, for three transgressions of Gaza and for four, when he says the city Gaza, it stands for Philistia, Philistines. For three transgressions of Gaza and for four, I will not revoke the punishment because they carried into exile a whole people 
to deliver them up to Edom. So I will send a fire upon the walls of Gaza, and it shall devour her strongholds. I will cut off the inhabitants from Ashdod, and him who holds the scepter from Ashkelon, I will return my hand against Ekron, and the remnant of Philistines shall perish, says the Lord. There are five cities of Philistine. Five Philistine cities. God's judgment is coming against five Philistine cities. He mentions every one of them here. He talks about Gaza, talks about um, uh, Ashdod, and Ashkelon, and Ekron, and all these are the cities of Philistine cities. And God's anger, judgment coming against these cities. Thus says the Lord, in chapter, in chapter 1, verse 9 of Amos, Thus says the Lord, For three transgressions of Tyre, and for four, I will not revoke the punishment, because they delivered up a whole people to Edom, and did not remember the covenant of brotherhood. So I will send a fire upon the wall of Tyre, and it shall devour her strongholds. Ezekiel 27 talks about the trade of Greeks. They are also called Ionians, a different word for describing the uh, same people. But what, how did God get even with these people? He says, I will repay back. Did he say? I will repay you on your own head what you have done to me. I will repay. How did he repay? Listen here. The people of Sidon were sold into slavery by Antiochus III in 345 BC. While the citizens of Tyre and Gaza were enslaved by Alexander in 332 BC. When you read the same verses... Towards the end of chapter, uh, uh, Joel 3, verse 8, it will say something like this. I will sell your sons and your daughters to the people of Judah, and they will sell them to the Sabians, a nation far away. The Lord has spoken. Everybody say, the Lord has spoken. When God says that is final, you cannot add anything to it. You cannot subtract anything from it. What God says, it is final. He said about Tyre and Sidon and Philistia, Edom, I will destroy you guys. That's final. He did it. In history, he visited them. In history, he punished them. He sold them as slaves to faraway nations. But my question this morning is, what did God say about you? Anytime have you asked this question, what did God say about me in the scriptures? Does Bible talk about what God has said about you? This Bible. Many things are spoken by the Lord about you. But the point is, many Christians are living in ignorance. They don't know what God has said about them. If they only know what God has said about them, they will not be the same. Say with me, they will not be the same. What will happen to them? What will happen to them if you believe the Bible? What will happen to you? I will tell you the story of one man called Benson Idahosa, who is from Nigeria. And he was a 24-year-old young man. And one Sunday, his pastor preached to him from Matthew chapter 10, verse 8. And he said, Heal the sick, cleanse the lepers, raise the dead, cast out demons, freely have received, freely give. After the sermon is over, he went to the pastor. Pastor, did you say these things? He said, Yes. Do you heal the sick? Do you cleanse the lepers? Do you raise the dead? Pastor said, no, I have not done it. Do you mean to say that you have preached? Do you mean to say that I can do it? The pastor said, you can do it. What did the pastor say? Has he done it? Even I have not done it. <laughs> I have not raised the dead yet. 
healing I have seen. Because of uh, um, healings, we have seen many kinds of healings we have seen. And uh, we have seen demons cast out, people being set free. We have seen all that. Raising the dead, I have not yet done. But I hope to do it very soon. Very soon. I am looking for it, an opportunity. And I am going to pray two, three hours. I will not give up until the person is raised. Listen to what Benson Idahosa did. He took his bicycle. That's his Rolls Royce. That's his uh, Lamborghini. That's his everything. He takes the cycle and goes to the streets of Nigeria. The, uh, Benin is the city, I think, Lagos. And he went through street by street. And wherever he found some crowd, he will say, is there a dead person here? And they will look at him and say, why are you looking for a dead person? No, I want to see a dead person. Do you have a dead, anybody dead in this house? No. He'll go to next street. Is there anybody dead here? Is there anybody dead here? Street by street, street by street. He went looking for dead people. And he could not find one until 4.30 in the evening. 11 o'clock in the morning he started. And at 4.30, one house he goes. And he saw some people standing there. Is there anybody dead here? Yes, there is this girl who is dead. Why do you want it? My pastor says, I can raise the dead. So here is the dead. Do whatever you want to do. So he goes inside. And praise in the name of Jesus, you girl, he used the scripture, uh, like Peter uses the word, you damsel, come back to your body, into your body. And before that he said, oh, when Jesus cast out, uh, raised the dead, he did not leave the father and mother, he cast them all out. So he said, you father mother, everybody out of this room. He cast them out. And then he came back and said, you damsel, come back to life. He did not know the girl's name. So he goes back again. Hey, what is the girl's name? Because he didn't know, didn't know. So they gave the name. And he called by name. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. You will live and you'll come back into the body. In Jesus' mighty name. Five seconds later, she sneezed. And he came back to life. She sat up. Hallelujah. This is what God is saying about you. Heal the sick. Cleanse the lepers. Raise the dead. Cause your demons. Freely have received, freely give. Freely have received, freely give. And I tell you, if you believe this word as Benson Irohasa believed the word, you will go today and look for somebody who is dead. If you think you don't want to go to a different place, you will go to the funeral home and find a body there. But it will be easier. But what I'm trying to say is, do you believe the word? Do you believe the word? Do you believe it says, to them who believed in him, he gave them right to become the sons of God, daughters of God. Do you believe it? Who are you? You got to believe you're a child of God. You got to believe when Romans chapter 6 talks about, you are dead with Christ, you're buried with him, you're raised up with him. You have to believe it. If you read Ephesians chapter 2, and there you were once dead in your strength, sins and trespasses, but now you are made alive with Christ. You are raised up with him. You are seated with the heavenly places. Do you believe it? You have to believe what God has said. If you believe what God has said, you will not be the same. Every week when I am preparing, it is not easy to preach, I tell you. You have come at 9 o'clock last night and asked me, do you have a message? I would have said no. If you asked me at 10 o'clock, do you have a message? I would have said no. I sat down there. I said, God, you got to give me a message. <laughs> if you don't give me a message, I have nothing to say to the children of God. 
and I don't want to stand there without a word from you. Then he said, the Lord has spoken. The Lord has spoken. I said, I have heard God speak to me. I am who I am because he has chosen me in Christ Jesus to be his son, to be walking in his power, to declare to break the chains of the enemy, to, uh, to set the people free, to, let, to set the people free from demons, to heal the sick, to preach the gospel to people, to save the people. I said, I know who I am. I know why I am living. Do you believe it? Do you believe it? Proclaim this among the nations. He proceeds further. Proclaim among these nations. Prepare for war. Rouse the warriors. Let all the fighting men draw near and attack. This is a call. As I explained last week, this is a call to war in Armageddon, the final war. God says gather. Gather the nations. He's telling the nations, gather now. Come and attack Jerusalem. Come and attack Israel. God is giving them a call. And what is the next, next verse says very, very funny things. Beat your plowshares into swords and your pruning hooks into spears. What is he trying to say here? Beat your plowshares into swords. Plowshare is something that you want to use for plowing the ground. That's attached to the plow. And pruning hook is the one that you use like a machete, you know, a long way, a crooked uh, kind of a knife. You go clear the branches, you know, prune the branches, you cut off the little kind of a, I don't know, I can use the word knife. I don't know whether I can use that word. But if you are a gardener, you know cicators. That is a modern day pruning hook. You know, check, you want to cut the branch, small, small branches, you go and cut it in the garden, you use cicators. So what he's trying to say is, you, you, you turn them into weapons. This is exactly opposite to what the word of the Lord has come through Isaiah. And Isaiah says a different thing. In, uh, where is that? Isaiah chapter 2, verse 4. He will judge between the nations and will settle dispute for many people. They will beat their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. Here is opposite. What Isaiah is saying is, a day and time is coming when Jesus will rule on this earth. He will establish his kingdom for a thousand years. When that happens, you will turn your weapons into plowshares and into pruning hooks. Today, imagine the tons and tons, millions of tons of steel being used to make tanks and, and guns and all kinds of ammunition. They are doing exactly opposite. They are turning the steel into weapons. Do you understand where I'm coming from? I was looking at the defense budgets of different nations. Defense budgets of different nations. America spent in year 2021, this is not my figures, they are Google says. <laughs> Ask Google, it tells you certain things. Very easy and quick. So I said, Defense budget of uh, different nations. 2021 US, 801 billion. China, 293 billion. India, 76.6 billion. UK, 68.4 billion. Russia, 65.9 billion. 
if only you put all the money of all the nations together people can sit and eat without doing any work for 4 to 5 years all over the world that's the amount of money you put into defense expenditure year after year after year why are they doing it most of the time imaginary fears why imaginary fears north korea is afraid south will invade south is afraid north will invade and russia is afraid uh, nato countries will invade them everybody is living in fear and spending money to pile up the ammunitions and arms all over the world every nation is living in fear of its neighbor if everybody says okay we are not going to do it the defense budget will come down to zero and then people will have money to eat they will have food to eat they'll have roof over their head many countries people are starving for food they don't have food to eat because their country is spending money on making weapons the governments are spending money to make weapons you know during covid many shares fell down in the market because there is no travel people are not traveling therefore many companies the share values went down but there was one share was going up defense ones this is an indication of where our values are where is our heart what are we doing in the world and and god says he's calling the nations now turn your plowshares into swords that means he's saying the steel that you use to make a plowshare use it to make a sword and the nations today are doing exactly that they are doing exactly that this is what is being fulfilled i said lord give me understanding how to understand the lord says this is how they are doing the nations are doing when i stand here and speaking my voice may not reach to anybody in the world but i tell the truth that god is stirring up the nations they are using billions of money just to get to uh, equip themselves so they can come and fight against israel and in the war of armageddon they are accumulating it and god is going to smash them and finish them with the breath of his mouth one 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 single second he can finish them all but is allowing them to do it is allowing them to do it the same kind of message you see in micah chapter 4 verse 3 you will judge between many prophets many peoples and will settle disputes for strong nations far and wide they will beat their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks nation will not take up sword against nation nor will they train for war anymore this is in the future when christ reigns on the earth for a thousand years and god is describing the nations with the two figures of speech here come quickly all you nations from every side and assemble there bring down your warriors o lord this is a prayer of the prophet joel bring down your warriors o lord release your angels your warrior angels because your fight ultimately is nations are coming against god and god will use his angelic force to fight so let the prayer of joel should be our prayer bring down your warriors o lord let your angelic host come down to accomplish your will we don't fight with weapons church does not have weapons church will not use weapons church the only weapon the church has is prayer 
When you go on your knees, you are the strongest. Church, you are the strongest when you are on your knees. When you are praying, you are the strongest. Because when you pray, the heaven is moved. The angels are released to come and fight on your behalf. Verse 12, let the nations be roused. Let them advance into the valley of the Jehoshaphat. But there I will sit to judge all the nations on every side. And now in verse 13 it says, Swing the sickle, for the harvest is ripe. Come trample the grapes, for the winepress is full. And the vats, vats overflow. So great is their wickedness. We may not understand this verse unless we have a glimpse into what happens at the winepress. You've got the vineyard, and the seasoned grapes are there. You reap the harvest. And what do you do after harvesting? You will bring them and put them in a vat. And you will trample them with your feet because they are too, too much, too many grapes. You, nowadays, your machines do it. In the olden days, they should trample with their feet. And the juice will overflow from the vat. And the grapes are red. And if you're wearing clothes, it will be drenched with the grape juice, which will make you red like blood. And God is going to trampled down the winepress with his feet and he is covered with the winepress, the blood of people. This is just a picture of a warrior. Warrior is compared to somebody who is trying to press out wine or bring, make wine out of the grapes. And God is the one who is going to do it. And in this winepress, who will suffer? The wicked will suffer. Great is their wickedness. Multitudes, multitudes, verse 14 says, in the valley of decision, for the day of the Lord is near. In the valley of decision. Multitudes, multitudes in the valley of decision. I already spoken about valley of Jehoshaphat and this valley of decision last week. If anybody wants to revisit, it's available on the podcast, you can listen again. I will not repeat myself. But when this valley of decision, God is dispensing justice, what he will do? He will command the sun to not shine anymore. And the, blood, the moon will go red blood. The Lord will roar from Zion and thunders from Jerusalem. The earth and the sky will tremble for the Lord will be a refuge for his people, a stronghold for the people of Israel. This is the hope. Any nation, every nation, if they have hope as Israel hopes in God, justice will be done by God. And Israel's hope is God. And this is the promise. The Lord will be refuge for his people a stronghold for the people of Israel. And what is true about Israel is true about the church. That promise that God gave to Israel is your promise too. You want to be safe, believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. You will be safe. Then you will know that I, the Lord your God, dwell in Zion, and my holy hill, Jerusalem, will be holy. Never again will foreigners invade her. This is a promise again. No foreigner will ever invade Jerusalem again. That is, God is going to rule in that place. Sorry, I missed out verse 15. The sun and the moon will be darkened, and the stars no longer shine. The Lord will roar from Zion, the thunder from Jerusalem, the earth and the sky will tremble. So, when God is sitting on judgment, even the nature will shrink back, and you will see that the sun will not, the uh, sun and the moon will be darkened, and the stars no longer shine. Stars no longer shine. I have explained these two things a couple of weeks ago about how 
how to understand these things astrono- in astronomy or whatever little bit I shared, um, you can listen to it again uh, when you go home. Now verse 18, what is happening in verse 18 and 19 is the reversal of the locust. When the locust came, when Joel prophesied he began with the locust, how the locust came and destroyed everything. And now how everything will be restored in God is spoken of in these verses. In that day the mountain will drip new wine and the hills will flow with milk. All the ravines of Judah will run with water. A fountain will flow out of the Lord, Lord's house and will water the valley of Acacias. This is reversal of the curse. Reversal of the locust is mountains will drip with new wine. That means so much of Grapes crop comes up, vineyards are bursting with uh, grapes. You are going to, it's just poetic. He's saying it is dripping with wine. It's poetic language, not literal, you know, it's poetic language. That you need to really harvest it, put it in the machine, make it. But poetically he says, it is dripping with wine. And hills will flow with milk. Is it not the same promise when, when he told Israelites, I will lead you into a nation that is flowing with milk and honey? What he means is milk and honey. They will be pasture. When there is good pasture, then the sheep and the cows and they are feed well, and then they, they will give a lot of milk. If there is no pasture, then cows cannot give milk. It's very simple. So you have to extend what you read in the Bible to understand what it means. So there will be abundance. In one word, there will be abundance. This is God's blessing. And verse 19 onwards, you read certain things. But Egypt will be desolate. Edom a desert waste. Because violence done to the people of Judah, in whose land they shed innocent blood. These are the two charges against Egypt and against Edom. One is the violence they have done. Two, they have shed innocent blood. Innocent blood they have shed. And this is the same thing that you see internationally happening between nations. When they do these things, what they do? They do violence and they shed innocent blood. Many times it is the top guy makes a decision and people who die are the innocent people in many nations. And that's what is happening. And what will happen in verse 20 and 21? Judah will be inhabited forever. This is the blessing. He's ending with hope. He's ending with promise. Judah will be inhabited forever, and Jerusalem through all generations. Their blood guilt, which I have not pardoned, I will pardon. Now that's a difficult verse to interpret. Different versions have it differently. NASB is different, NIV is different, and different versions have different things. But this NIV that says here, their blood guilt, which I have not pardoned, I will pardon, is a promise. The people can be doing the worst things in history, but if they turn to God, he will forgive. Whatever you have done in your life, whatever bad things you have done, if you turn to God and say, God, I'm sorry, he will say, I forgive. 1 John 1, 7, 1, 8, 1, 9. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Do you believe that word? The Lord dwells in Zion. The Lord dwells in Zion. Everybody say, the Lord dwells in Zion. Where is Zion? 
Jerusalem is Zion. But today, the church is Zion. Who is Zion? Church. Why do you have to come to church? Because when you are gathered, he has promised where two or three are gathered in my name, there am I in their midst. You want to experience the presence of God? You want to see the glory of God? You come to church. As you worship him, his glory comes down here. And he reigns. He's seated on the praise of Israel. So when you want to experience God, encounter God, come to church. Come with expectation. Come with expectation. You don't say, oh, I have to, Sunday I have to get up and go to church. That's no motivation for you to come to church. But I tell you, I pray during the week, particularly on Saturday nights. I say, God, let your glory come. Let your glory come. I'll be pacing up and down in the house. I'm saying, Lord, let your glory come. Let your glory come. Let your glory come. I come here with expectation that the glory will come. And the glory will touch everybody here. And you will go back home because you're blessed by God. Because God touched you. That's why we come here to church. My question is, do you come here for that same purpose? Because the Lord dwells in Zion. The Lord dwells in his church. Cool. Let us close in prayer. Thank you, Jesus. Hallelujah. Oh Lord our God, we have thought about many, many things this morning. But Lord Father, what you have said about us, let it be printed on our minds. Let it be written on our hearts. Inscribe them on our hearts that we are your children. Inscribe it on our hearts that you indeed put your Holy Spirit in our hearts. Lord, inscribe it in our hearts that we are filled with the power of resurrection. Lord, inscribe in our hearts that you are, we, are, we are dead with Christ, we are buried with Christ, we are raised up with Christ. Lord, inscribe it in our hearts that you are, we are seated with you in the heavenly places right now in Christ Jesus by the right hand of God and all the force of darkness are under our feet and we reign over them. We will trample them down and nothing can harm us because we are your children. We are victorious in you. Lord, we enforce a victory in our lives and we are not the ones who are going to see defeat but we are victors in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. So I pray right now, stir up the hearts of your children to believe your word. Even once sentence in the whole Bible, if anybody believes, your life will not be the same. In the mighty name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. Re shakta karabandaro, bahasarano, reha shatare, bara sandabara sokroni. Let there be light in your spirit. Let there be light in your soul. Let there be light in your body. Let there be light in your mind. Let there be light. 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 In Jesus' mighty name. And all the children said, Amen. Thanks for joining us at Omega. If you need prayer for healing or breakthrough, or simply to find out more, please head to our website or Facebook page in the links below.